0: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Android Central podcast. My name is Shruti Shaker. I am a writer here at Android Central. And of course, I've got some lovely guests with me today. Jerry Hildenbrand. Hello. Howdy. How are you today?
1: I'm um, here. How are you?
0: <laughs> I'm doing great. I've got Michael Hicks. Hi, Michael. Hi. Hi. It's nice to have you back on the pod. And of course, I've got Nick Sutrick. Oh my gosh, we've missed you. Where have you been, my guy? I'm,
2: I'm back, but it wasn't <laughs> as painful coming back as Voldemort. <laughs> oh
0: my God. <laughs> I don't know. Well, I'm um, glad we have a, a, a house full of guests. We've got a lot of really fun conversations uh, that we're going to talk about today um, around some chips, some air tags, some um, some reviews. And a whole bunch of VR stuff. So why don't we just get right into it? I want to first start off with this rumor um, that Business Korea reported on, uh, reportedly or probably, that the Samsung Galaxy S23 and S22 FE may use the MediaTek chips for the first time. So this is interesting because, um, you know, Samsung is obviously still developing its high-end Exynos chips, for the Galaxy phones, but we don't know which phones those are for, first of all. And we know that the North American version will use the Snapdragon. But the fact that there's this rumor that MediaTek will be used for um, the international Samsung Galaxy S22 FE and S23 is rather, well, it's interesting. What are your thoughts? Who wants to go first?
3: Uh, I can go. Yeah, Um,
0: go go for it, Michael.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, it's not necessarily too surprising if we look at what happened with the S21 FE and if we assume that this isn't necessarily a permanent solution. But we know that chip shortages caused problems and that caused it to go from coming out in october to january and that forced them to push the s22 back or was january or february in in any case um you know chip shortages are a big problem and if you have a you know guaranteed order from a third party who has you know better access to silicon than you do then that can make sure you stay on track for the upcoming year and that could be just an important thing we we know that Samsung isn't saying they're giving up on making their own chips because there was the same rumor coming from TM Ro, the mobile president of Samsung, that they were working on a new application processor that is unique to Galaxy smartphones. And that came from uh, iNews24 in Korea. But you know, it's funny, those these rumors came out at the same time that Samsung is simultaneously thinking let's not use Exynos. And also let's make a chip that is unique to galaxies, which may or may not be Exynos or Exynos 2.0. It, it's very bizarre. Um, I I think it makes sense that it would be international because we know that MediaTek makes fast chips, but I think they've dimensity chips maybe don't support MMWave, which would mean they would not be able to be used for Verizon. Yeah, I think
2: that's probably why they're going to keep, well, you know, per the rumor, they're going to keep the Snapdragon chipsets in the U.S. So, yeah.
0: I uh, we did get a comment from an analyst. Um, we've used him for several of our stories. His name is Anshul Sag. Um a senior analyst at More Insights and in Strategy, and he provided some commentary, and I'm just going to read it out. He said, while it may be contrary to Samsung's strategy since it has always been shipping the Exynos chips in its own phones, there's absolutely absolutely a possibility that the company could ship it in the S22 FE to create a more defined like between the FE line and the rest of the S series on the application processor front. That said, I think it would be a... Be S bridge too far to suggest. Or I think I think too far. a bridge a bridge too far. <laughs> My bad. It would be a bridge too far to suggest the standard S twenty three would would because that would account for too much of Samsung's total Exynos volume, and I don't believe it would be in the position to be killing off Exynos yet. I don't think we've seen enough signs from Samsung that it would appear to be abandoning Exynos yet. Any thoughts on that statement?
2: It's really interesting to me that this is happening this year in particular, just because this was the year that, you know, the AMD partnership with Samsung began. Well, I mean, I guess it began two years ago, but the actual chip launched this year, right? Um, And I think a lot of us, myself included, were expecting some really big things from that. And really what we've got in this, this particular Exynos that's in like the, the S22 series kind of problematic. Like, you know, the the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 isn't the greatest chipset Qualcomm has ever put out. It's definitely one of the warmer ones. But the the Exynos that's in the S22 internationally, I mean, we have a bunch of like weird little issues that happened at launch. You had all those weird display issues. And I think those were caused in in some form from the chipset. You have uh, a couple of other performance issues. Like, uh, I mean, it's not the first time We've seen issues like this from an Exynos chipset. But I think for me, this particular one was surprising because they had that partnership. So I wonder if this means that, you know, it's going to affect that partnership negatively or if it's like, OK, well, we got to start over with that other chipset. They were talking about developing for Galaxy phones and maybe that'll be the real one that we really wanted. And, uh, and this is just sort of a stopgap. Um, right. For they the need S22 time for their epic comeback. <laughs> What's that?
3: Sorry, that they need time for their epic comeback.
2: Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And you know, the S twenty two FE in particular for, for the international version. I mean, the Dimensity nine thousand is more or less on the same page as the Snapdragon eight Gen one in terms of performance. They they're neck and neck depending on whatever you know performance metric you're looking at. It's definitely the fastest chipset MediaTek has ever made. Um. And I don't know, like it. I think if they're going to do it, this would be the year to do it. Um, I don't know. It's, it, it's definitely interesting to see that it's gotten to this point where they can compete with Qualcomm, and I think it's also a very good sign of things to come.
0: Why? Why do you think it would be? Uh, this year would be the good year.
2: Uh, I mean, just in terms of performance, because I don't correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think we've seen a high-end MediaTek chipset that can go toe-to-toe with a Qualcomm one before. I think it's always been sort of an Intel AMD, you know, yeah, the MediaTek ones are good for the price, but they're never going to compete with Qualcomm on performance. Whereas this year, I mean, if I, you know, if you go take a quick look at benchmarks or, you know, other types of performance metrics, really the Dimensity and the the Snapdragon are neck and neck. That It would be fine to interchange them at this point and nobody would really notice anything, I don't think.
0: Uh, Jerry, yeah, you were going to say something.
2: I'm
1: going to throw a car analogy out because everyone loves car analogies. Yay. In the 80s, the Chrysler Corporation started to use engines from Mitsubishi in some of its cheaper small cars. Chrysler made small four-cylinder engines that were perfectly fine, but Mitsubishi made ones that worked just as well and were cheaper. Uh, here you go. The Samsung that makes Samsung Galaxy phones and the Samsung that makes Samsung chips are owned by the same parent company, but they are not the same company. The company that makes phones uses whatever part works and gives them the best percentage of profit. And using a MediaTek chip, if it's good enough and the price is right and they can meet the demand, makes perfect sense to me.
0: Yeah,
2: yeah, and that's a good point, too, because Qualcomm chipsets are more expensive. They always have been. And a lot of that is because you pay for all the additional licenses and features that come with a Qualcomm chipset. You know, you have the 5G stuff, you have, um, we'll just say, I don't know, I can't remember if MediaTek supports Dolby Atmos, but, you know, it's, it's little things like that that typically go with Qualcomm chipsets and you end up paying for those because, well, that's on the spec list and that's what people want to see. So if they can get away with it, And either not have to deal with those, maybe even saving license costs and some of those things that people don't really care about, especially on like an S22 FE, where people are buying that as a budget flagship anyway. And yeah, heck, there, there you go. Maybe the price will be better too.
3: I have one quick question about what Anshil said. Do we think Samsung fans want a defined line between the FE phones and the S series? I thought that one of the appeals of these phones is that you wait a while and then you get the same chip and processor and it's slightly downgraded in a few areas like, you know, cameras and make quality, but it's still going to be about the same. But he's saying that Samsung wants to make it different to give it sort of a different appeal than the S phones. I'm just that's an
1: interesting thought to me. Like, what do you think about that? I think he's probably right. And I also think that's a mistake on Samsung's part. Hmm.
2: Well, I mean, in a way, would it not be following suit with what both Apple and Google have done with their own chipsets? You know, just being able to to more tightly control not just the manufacturing process, but also the the software development process. If it's all in-house, you can control every, you know, part of that design from well, the hardware to the software and all that, everything included wouldn't that be better for samsung
1: the the division of samsung that makes exynos socs they have nothing to do with the software on samsung android phones they make a generic chip that works in anything you can buy right all kinds of development boards or small home gadgets that use an exynos processor so those processors are not built Specifically to do a certain thing on a phone, they're just there to process instructions.
2: Right. So, wouldn't it make more sense for Samsung, you know, mobile as a business, to then create their own, you know, chipset where they actually do control it? Versus, like you're saying, it's it's its own thing, and they just kind of use it because maybe well, it's there.
1: <laughs> it depends on how much has to be spent to do that, because Qualcomm does exist, right? if you want you know the super high end do it all and do it perfectly you know chip that that already exists if you're willing to pay for it
0: okay on that note <laughs> <laughs> i want to talk about uh an interesting well actually two two interesting tweets that came out and um One was based on a story and one was based on on a tweet. Uh, So I'll I'll backtrack for a second. The reason why it's two different separate things is that they both deal with privacy. Um, So the first is uh, there was a a story reported by Vice uh, about how police records show women are being stalked with Apple AirTags across the country um, by vindictive ex-boyfriends, fathers, husbands. uh, And Vice essentially went through 150 police reports and found that there was this disturbing pattern of abuse now we know that this has been an ongoing issue with Apple, and Apple has uh tried to if I'm not mistaken has come out with an upgrade to say you know if you you will be able to find um air tags that are uh not paired with your phone but are you know sort of lingering maybe hidden in your car or something that doesn't belong to you you will be able to find that um You know, I I bring this issue up because I think it's interesting that this issue is still going on and nothing has been fixed. And um, I think more so, Nick, I think you were struck by this story a little bit more and and felt like you really wanted to talk about this. Um, So let's start with that. And then I'll I'll talk about the second thing in a second.
2: I I mean, the, the AirTag story, like you were saying, is not really anything new, right? I think we've been hearing this since the things came out. Um, somebody in our Slack chat—I don't remember if it was you or uh, somebody else—brought up that you know this is really only a story because so many people use Apple products, mm-hmm. and the fact that you know at least initially they really only worked on Apple phones. If if you were getting tracked and you had an Android phone, you had no idea to know that there's no there's nothing built into Android that tells you an AirTag is tracking you. Um, so I don't know. There was that angle. I guess, I guess just the question of, do we really need these kinds of trackers? I mean, I know, I know people say, oh, I haven't lost my keys in six months or whatever. Or, you know, there's little things like that where people track, but I'm like, do we really want to introduce this concept? I I guess, obviously it's too late. They're already here, (laughs) but do we want to continue using this kind of stuff? I just think it's a horrible idea. I don't really well, care how much convenience uh, <coughs> it adds to your life. It can't be that convenient.
1: Unfortunately, the answer is yes. The day these were announced, I said they're a privacy nightmare. Nobody knows yes. this. And I it's was horrible. ridiculed. I was told unequivocally that, shut up, Jerry. This is something we want. This is something great. Well.
0: You know, and I, I think the, the bigger picture to that is like, do we really want Bluetooth in existence. And the question, the answer to that is of course we do, because there are so many other things, use case scenarios that Bluetooth offers us, right? We're you know, connecting to our headphones or um connecting our phone to our car. Like there are so many great use case scenarios for Bluetooth. Um or even the COVID tracker, right? Like in Canada we have our COVID tracker and it uses um Bluetooth as a way to um, you know, see if you've been in contact with someone who had COVID. Um, so there are great use case scenarios, but again, the answer to your question, Nick, is like, I mean, it's consumerism, right? Like people are going to want the stuff regardless of the privacy, what's at what's at stake. And as much as we report on this, I, I don't necessarily know if things are gonna get, get any better. Um, no, of course not.
1: Nobody's gonna force Apple to do anything.
0: Yeah, exactly. And I think that's that's the, the concerning aspect. Um and I guess I wanna lead to my second my second story, which um, a YouTuber named Arun Arun uh, Mani, I think that's how you say his last name. Uh, he's um, he's a tech tech YouTuber based in India, I believe. But um, he tweeted something out, and I immediately just saw red flags in the sense of like privacy concerns. Um, so he tweeted a smartphone feature I would love to see being able to tap a button and instantly snap a photo without needing to open the camera first. Even if you can't see exactly what you're capturing, you'll at least get something for all those moments that happen way too quickly. So I I get why he's saying this because, you know, maybe he wants, he's targeting it at like, you know, a family member wanting to take an image of their child or whatever. But the first thing I thought of was just inappropriate images being taken of women or men for that matter, um, and I just, I just thought it was insane privacy issues there, and I just wanted to get you got your take on that.
2: Yeah, we we had this with a couple of Huawei phones, and I'm sure some other uh, manufacturers several years ago that did where you can double tap a volume button, and you know within half a second or something, it would take a picture. And, and I mean, it worked exactly like you said. It takes the picture, and then eventually it loads the viewfinder, maybe two three seconds later and you get to see what you took. And I, I think that was one of those things I always put in a review. I was like, well, this is nice to have. But the problem is, really, by the time you do this, it takes it so fast, you have no idea what you're, you're taking a picture of, they're really useless pictures. And I haven't really seen it um, added to to newer smartphones. I mean, of course, I really only review stuff in the US now. So I don't I don't get all the the crazy gadgets I used to, but. I, I kind of feel like it's one of those features that is fun to add in there because you know I guess like he's pointing out it it's it's cool for very specific use case scenarios but then you get into the privacy aspect like you're saying and you know and, and on top of that really is the feature any good in real life it it, it just seems like one of those spec list things like oh yeah it can do this nobody really wants to use it that way cuz it sucks
1: apparently for him it would be something useful but uh you know the first thing i thought is okay so you tap an area of the screen to automatically take a take a picture i'm going to make a game and have you tap that portion of the screen all the time but i'm just going to use the front facing camera to take pictures and you know then it's going to be saved and the private data folder of my game and you've already agreed to let me upload information and data and share your media and I'm going to get pictures of your face how, how do you like that
0: oh my gosh that is so scary <laughs> <laughs>
1: this is getting there, worse there's a <laughs> <This> reason is... <laughs> that there's a,
0: <laughs> this is uh, getting worse <laughs> but I
1: mean th- there's a reason there is a workflow to take a photograph on your smartphone
0: yeah
1: whether it's android or apple or even go way back blackberry palm whatever there is a workflow and it's there for a reason
0: no it's true it is and if i'm not mistaken and i I did put this in our slack channel i could be wrong but i'm pretty certain that korea actually enacted a law whereby all phones had to have that that the the shutter shutter sound yeah the sound of a shutter so that Whenever you take a picture, that sound happened because people were taking so many inappropriate images. I don't know if that was Korea or if it was somewhere else, but I, I mean, like, this is like, to me that that really stresses me out knowing like if that was a feature, it would it would really make me feel very uncomfortable.
2: Yeah. And that that also kind of goes back to our conversation several months ago about AR glasses and whether or not people are comfortable, you know, and with somebody walking around with a camera just right there and they yeah, they're on our phones. But like Jerry said, there's a procedure that you have to go through to get a picture taken. You look like you're taking a picture cause you're holding the thing weird, right? Like you're not holding it. Like you're just scrolling on the screen. Typically you have to angle it and do something different. And somebody knows you're taking a picture. So, I mean, the,
1: the flip side of that though, is if you live in Ottawa or London you're getting your picture taken er, taken every moment you're outside, anyway. Every second of of every moment that you're outside, you're you're getting your picture taken by the government
2: security cameras. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm sure true. there's
1: other places too. I just China? know that.
0: No, oh, China, hundred yeah. percent, China. I, I
1: just know that that's those two. You know, police departments they rely very heavily on you know i call it surveillance i don't know what it word is. they use i
0: mean no it's it's the right word uh, i mean i remember a couple of years ago when i went to china i it, it was baffling to see how many <laughs> cameras were everywhere um so it's 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 daunting it's weird i feel
1: you know i, I the one difference is those cameras aren't pointed up your skirt that's true so you know I I think it, I, I believe it was Japan and Korea both had a law that the camera had to make a sound.
0: Yeah. I, li- yeah. I like that law. Yeah. I like that I do law a lot
1: and I think that should be the law everywhere and that sound should be full volume loud for everyone in your vicinity to know.
0: I fully agree with you on that. Let's take a quick break and we'll come back because we have a lot of really cool VR stuff that we're going to get into. So uh, stay tuned, guys, and we'll be right back. I think the hardest part about finding any job applicant is actually finding the right job applicant. And we're recently doing that right now in Android Central. We're trying to find some freelancers, and it's really, really hard. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, because Indeed is the hiring partner when you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. And Indeed is the only job site where you're guaranteed to find quality applicants that meet your must-have requirements or else you don't pay. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites hoping to find candidates with the right skills, you need one powerful hiring partner that can help you do it all. Indeed partners with you on every step of the hiring process find great talent through time-saving tools like Indeed Instant Match, assessments, and virtual interviews. With Instant Match, as soon as you sponsor a post, you get a short list of quality candidates with resumes on Indeed that match your job. I love Instant Match because over 90% of employers get quality candidates as soon as they sponsor their job post, according to Indeed data. And that sounds really incredible to me, especially as I'm trying to find a freelancer for Android Central. Start hiring right now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com ACP. Offers valid through April 30th. Go to Indeed.com slash ACP to claim your $75 credit before April 30th. Indeed.com slash ACP. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okie dokie. We are back. And the focus is going to going be on you, Nick, <laughs> for a hot minute, because uh, you just did the Moss Book 2 review. Um, tell us about it. I haven't even had a chance to read the review, so I'm going to be a little bit useless here in asking you questions, but you're going to have to talk to us. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I
2: I just submitted it before we started recording, so I'm, <laughs> I'm not even sure Michael's had a chance to look it over yet. But And, and Michael can kind of corroborate some of this because he was in the... I guess we'll call it the eyes on preview, right? When they just kind of showed us somebody else playing it. But, you know, like with anything VR, it, unless you are in the thing, you don't get the full experience. It, it doesn't translate properly on a, a flat screen. Um, so yeah, Moss Book 2. Uh, it's a sequel to Moss that came out four years ago. Game where you play as, they call it a reader. Kind of looks like the one of the, the ghost guys from... what uh i'm trying to remember the animated movie that i love so much spirited away good heavens all right there we go (laughs) looks like the ghost guys from spirited away you play as that person you kind of see into this world every area that you're in is kind of like a diorama right like you're sitting it's it is a seated experience
0: oh cool because normally most most vr experiences are are not seated right Correct.
2: Yeah. So this is kind of a rarity in that this is only seated. A lot of VR experiences will let you, you know, choose if you know if you're in a wheelchair and can't stand, you can still play most VR
0: games. Okay. So so this would be a really great game for Jerry.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. This this one there's no benefit at all to standing. In fact, it doesn't really work at all. At least on the PSVR because it loses your tracking. But yeah, (laughs) it it is definitely a seated only game. Um, You use a DualShock Four controller. Um, so, you know, when, when Sony designed those, it has the light on the back, it can be tracked in 3d space because of that light and the camera for the PSVR. So you have, um, like a little orb basically that represents your controller and you use that to interact with stuff in these like diorama type levels. And then you also use the joysticks on the controller to move about your character quill, who is like a little, a little mouse with like a sword and armor and stuff. If you've ever read like tale of Despero, you'll know, kind of get the idea of of how this story works and how this world works. Um, so this one is a direct follow-up to the original, which got like, you know, VR game of the year and all kinds of stuff when it came out. Um, gameplay is, you know, basically the the same at, at its core. And then they also added in, you have additional weapons um, that you can use. They give you a bunch of ex- extra powers for like level traversal. That kind of stuff makes it a little more of a Metroidvania because... When you get certain weapons, okay, now you can dash, which means, okay, now these gaps that were in platforms, I could finally get across to there and go get that treasure chest up on the top or something like that. So it's a bit like a Metroidvania in, in that way. Um, I, I think with this series in particular, I don't know if it's the presentation or the animations or, you know, just the overall environment that I love so much, but it's just, it's so fun being in that world. Mm-hmm. And kind of interacting with that character. and there's so many little details like i I tweeted something where um you know somebody was saying, oh, if if you blow um, you know I basically through the microphone because the headset has a microphone built on it. but like if you put your head close to quill and you you blow on her ears, they'll like twitch and she'll look oh, at you <laughs> that's and, so like cute. There, there's just there's so many little things like that in there that that are they're really fun. And it kind of makes you understand why, okay, well, if I'm seated and I'm using a regular controller, why the heck is this even in VR? And it's it's stuff like that that I feel really helps differentiate it from like a a typical, uh, you know, like flat screen TV action platformer type of thing. Because this is very (coughs) much like um, maybe a Zelda style where, you know, you have like a uh, sort of like a 45, like an isometric view of the world you control your character and you get into battles and that sort of thing
0: okay so um, i want i want to talk about the seated vr stuff in just a second but um yes. i i i quickly uh pulled up uh ign's review of this game uh sorry nick <laughs> now you're good <laughs> i need i need to i need to reference something when i'm talking to you <laughs> <You're> <laughs> So. fine
2: <laughs> They, they beat me to it because I was out of town and couldn't play it, so there you it's go.
0: It's okay. It's okay. So uh, they they wrote something interesting, and I, I'd i like to get your feedback on this and maybe even Michael's, but I'm going to read a little section, um, and it says, The sequel feels held back by PSVR's aging tech. So unfortunately, the sequel also feels held back by, P- by the PSVR's aging tech. It might might have been a revel- revelatory headset in 2016 but six years later with a successor on the way it's extremely dated having played moss on ps with an oculus rift s this felt like a step back in terms of the quality of its interactions it requires a dualshock 4 thanks to that controller's light bar meaning there's no option to use the ps move controllers or the ps 5s ps5's, PS5's dual sense if you've opted to play through backwards compatibility the DualShock controllers feel fine when moving Quill around each level, but direct interface as the reader is a different matter. Using the DualShock lacks the immersion provided by a full motion control, controls that VR thrives in. Admittedly, something the PS Move controllers aren't comparatively very good at anymore, even if they were available. Uh, continues on and says, Don't get me wrong, it's still functional, but I just couldn't escape the feeling that Book 2 occasionally had to compromise its design around these limitations. I, that that says a lot. For, just from reading that like those two paragraphs, I, I feel like I'm, I'm wondering if, if you had that same experience or if you felt similarly to the writer.
2: Yeah, my you know you have our, our positive and negative columns. Literally the first thing in my negative column is interaction is limited by the PSVRs tech. <laughs>
0: so. <laughs> okay, so what, what is it? Can you explain what that means? Like what does that limitation mean?
2: So, I mean, you have the seated thing, right? We can discuss that in a bit. That's fine. Um, Really, the limitation here is that the PSVR uses a single placement camera, right? So there's a little, little camera bar that sits right below your TV. It has two cameras on it, so it can see like the human eye would. It's able to see depth. But that's the only place it can see from. So if you move out of the very limited field of view this thing has it doesn't know where you are. It doesn't know what you're doing. So in these, you know, like I said, it's a diorama type of level, right? You, you're seated. You don't move physically unless your character moves somewhere else and then the camera changes position. Um, if you try to reach over to the edge of that diorama, most of the time your controller loses tracking because you're now reaching outside of the field of view of the camera. And, you know, I, I said it in our review, I had to twist my hand like, I, I, instead of holding the controller, like, let's say I'm putting it out to the right. Normally, you know, your right hand is on the right side of the controller. Well, I would have to switch my grip so my right hand is on the left side of the controller so that I could then push it out to the right and the camera could still see the light on the back of the controller. Does that make sense? hmm Yeah. So it, it's not, I would say they were good enough with the level design to keep those limitations in mind. But it's very obvious that the game was still designed for 2016 tech. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, one of the things I said, like, really close to the end of the review when I was talking about those differences, I'm really looking forward to book three because they even said they're working on more. We're going to get book three because book three is not going to be developed for the original PSVR. This is the last one
0: that is developed
2: for the original PSVR. So I, I really I'm excited to see what they're going to do with, you know, more room-scale tech. And I don't know if that means we're going to now be able to walk around in bigger areas or if that just means you will now have not necessarily unlimited range of movement, but you won't be restricted this way. And then, of course, they can probably design other elements around just better tracking tech in general.
0: Sure. Yeah. No, that makes sense. Okay, now I want to talk about the thing that you got really excited about, which is the seated beer. I think Michael was excited about that too. Yeah. Um. Okay. So obviously explain this but correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, most games are they're designed for you to be standing up. So how different is it when you're seated and completely playing a game seated in a VR experience? Cuz isn't isn't the whole point to like feel like you're moving in the game and that you are part of this game? How how does that change when you're seated?
2: I would say most VR experiences are probably first person. Um, in fact, I know my son, uh, was much younger when I played the original Moss. And so when I fired this one up, he was like, oh, you don't play as the mouse. Like he was thinking, you know, like I was the mouse as you typically would be in a VR game where you are the protagonist and you're seeing through their eyes and moving their arms. Um, whereas a seated VR experience is, you know, it, it's much more like a traditional gaming experience. You sit there, you Don't really move all that much other than maybe tilting your torso or tilting your head or something like that. Um, It's a lot more casual, I feel like. Um, And, you know, in this particular game, there's no benefit to standing. It's designed to be seated. Whereas if you're playing like one of the many multiplayer shooters that are out there, right? I know a lot of people who will sit pretty much the whole time because their back just kills them after they've been playing for 2 <laughs> hours.
0: <you know>? Like <laughs> fair enough. <laughs>
2: so I it's it's both a comfort thing and a design thing. Um I, I think yeah. depending on the game and depending on your physical abilities being seated in a game that is maybe more designed to stand to oh my gosh to be standing that sounds right. <laughs> um is not necessarily a problem because of all of the, I guess we'll say accessibility or maybe even comfort features that a lot of developers put in. So like most of the time in first-person VR experiences, the right analog stick will be used to you know, tilt your character, kind of like you would expect in a regular first-person shooter or something like that on a controller, right?
0: Mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. difference
2: is typically in VR.
1: Tell me you've never played Beat Saber while sitting down without saying I've never played Beat Saber. While sitting down.
2: I have tried it sitting down. I will Dude, not play it sitting down.
1: <laughs> sitting, sitting down in a typical VR game is a second class experience, period.
2: Mm-hmm. Generally, yes. Although, I mean, like I said, there are a lot of people I play with that play multiplayer shooters regularly that sit. And, you know, I don't know how, I, I can't really say I've ever asked them if it bothers them. I think that's one of those things you just kind of get used to. But yeah, the, the the ideal thing here would be to stand in, in most of these types of games, which I think is what makes something like Moss so attractive because there is no benefit to standing.
3: Right. The, the traditional game like Moss came out of a time when most people didn't have VR legs. So <laughs> you got right. simulator sickness, whatever it's called, because you're moving, but your ears don't detect movement. And so you feel nauseous. And also just the tech limitations of the time with wired VRs, you have to be sitting in one place and games would give you like telekinesis power. So you're sitting in one spot and you pull things to you from across the room. And if you need to, you can teleport to a different spot. So you're not actually moving and getting sick. And most games really worked for seated VR because most people were sitting or just standing in one place. And now there are seated experiences where you can be sitting And accessibility controls let you move your head up to feet. So it's supposed to feel like you're standing. Whenever I have used it, it really doesn't work for a few reasons. Because, you know, I did it seated when I did um, one of the Star Wars VR games. And for one thing, you need to look down and reach down into your belt to grab things. But if you're sitting, you're like reaching into your waist (laughs) (laughs) to grab the things and so it doesn't quite work and when you're flinging your arms around or aiming while you're sitting it can be more awkward than when you're standing to aim properly like you'll end up tweaking your back um it is there is this it is a second class experience for games that are not specifically designed for that and i've been going through it because i I wrote an article about this basically my cat who is Licking himself behind me right now does not understand when I have a headset on, and you know, collides with my legs, and I freak out because I don't see him coming. (laughs) And so, yeah, it it has been a a bummer that so many VR games, even if they work while seated, don't work the way as intended. I've also I have tried doing Beat Saber sitting and leaning while sitting to dodge things or swiping away. Just feels awkward
0: is beat saber the one where you have to like hit the the thing with a saber and it's like it's like a song or something it's like guitar hero but it's like for vr or something like that right
2: yeah
1: pretty much
0: okay okay yeah
2: yeah a lot of music games are kind of that style where some sort of block or note or something is coming towards you and you have to perform some sort of action at the right time, right? <laughs> right,
0: right, right, right. Yeah.
2: Right. So in, in that one, it's blocks flying towards you and you slice them with the lightsabers that you're holding.
1: We we played it on the HDC Vive at our last mobile nations get together. And I thought I thought I broke my knuckles more than
0: oh, once. No. Oh
2: my goodness. Oh, no. Did you I, smash I, the controllers I, together?
1: No, I hit the arms of my wheelchair.
2: Oh over no. and over
1: oh. and over. <laughs> yeah.
0: Because oh, you just man. don't
1: see them, you forget what yep. is around you. Yeah.
3: Well,
2: right. I mean, you get into it. It's it's real easy to get into it that way.
0: No, but I do like this this idea that like, you know, from especially from an accessibility feature, I think that it it just opens up the opportunities for so many more players to play these type of games. And do you guys think that that there will be more? I mean, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because we're gonna be talking about this a little bit um shortly after the break, but do you guys think that we're gonna see more v r games that are seated um you know having that seated experience?
3: I think specifically with the playstation v r two because I think that some games may require using the dual sense or will allow it as in addition to the regular touch controllers because they will be hybrid games. they will be games you can play either in VR or out of it. And so, you know, you can play what, you know, Horizon Call of the Mountain, which is the one they've announced, like by standing up and making bow and arrow motions with your arms. But if you are seated, I think they'll probably just have a, a mode where you use the same controls as Horizon Forbidden West. And so in that sense... It is more natural to play a game where your hands are just in your lap and mm. you don't need to worry about, you know, which way your arms move or anything like that. And that's like the same with Moss Book 2 is despite the the tracking issues, it is using a controller. And so you can naturally just sit. Mm. So that could be a good thing for people that like the idea of VR immersion, but can't handle the annoyance of seated experience being inferior. <laughs>
0: Oh man, don't say that. <laughs> I, I mean, it's not untrue. So oh, gosh. It's I,
2: I think, you know, with, with VR especially, there are just there are so many different factors to consider that when a developer makes a game, they they really just have to focus in on a certain experience and that's the best experience they're going to deliver. And then whatever else they can cobble on, you know, to, to cater to a wider audience is yeah, kind of how it goes right now. And I think we will eventually get over that in most cases, but it's going to take a lot of time, a lot of thinking, a lot of different minds, putting thoughts into that process. I I mean, I, I guess it's not, uh, I don't know. It's it's at least a little bit similar to how smartphone touch input is the way it is now versus how it was, you know, in the late 90s with a stylus on a palm. You know, you had you had the idea there and everyone knew, OK, well, this is going to get way better in 20 years. But we didn't necessarily know, OK, well, this is how it's going to work. and And that kind of stuff is going to continue to evolve. I mean, we'll just see better and better forms of input and that in VR and whatever. But yeah, it's just going to, it's going to take time. I don't know.
0: <laughs> nope. You're right. It does. And on that note, I would like to take a really quick great break because we have a few more things that I want to talk about. So stay tuned, guys. We'll be right back. Okay. I get it. We all hate passwords and we are frustrated when we cannot remember a password it happens to me every single day, and I'm a tech journalist, and I still can never remember my passwords, and the worst of it all, I tend to reuse them. And we all know in today's world where everything is digital, this is akin to leaving your home and car unlocked, so it's it's not good. We all know we need to do a better job. We need to do better, guys. You know it. The time to do it is now. Get a password manager. Get the best one that's out there, GetKeeper. Start your free trial at wwwget keepercom So you're probably wondering, why should I get GetKeeper? It securely creates, shares, and manages passwords with family, friends, and colleagues. How freaking amazing is that? It's highly rated. PC Mag has named it Password Manager of the Year for three years in a row. It's very, very, very secure, has multiple layers of security secure. It fills out forms with a breeze, which we all love. It provides real-time alerts when passwords are compromised in the dark web, which again, we need that. And it stores more than just passwords. You can store your social security cards, password photos, and so many other things. So, why are you wasting your time and not getting a password manager? Go and start your free trial at www.get-keeper.com. Okay, welcome back. Uh, continuing on the tr- the track of talking about VR. Um Michael had the opportunity to go to is it the games developer conference or gaming developer conference? Gaming gaming developer conference uh not too long ago and um he obviously got to see a lot of really cool things but he wrote a fantastic editorial titled uh GDC 2022 provided a glimpse into the future of PSVR2 games so you can imagine what we're going to be talking about uh for the next few minutes not few <laughs> maybe like 15 minutes you know what i mean <laughs> but essentially you know looking at the future of of VR and um, you know, some of the, the cool things that we might be seeing in the future. Uh, so, uh, Michael, why don't you tell us from your article, what was the one thing that you thought was the most interesting thing that um, that would be a glimpse into the future of PSVR2 games?
3: Right. Yeah, I think some of it is genuinely exciting and some of it reminds me of gimmicky stuff that may or may not work and some of it makes you concerned so it's it's a fun sort of (laughs) spectrum. Um, I
0: I really want to know about the thing that is concerning but but let's get to the good stuff first.
3: (laughs) Yeah so the the big improvement is with something called foveated rendering uh, mixed with eye tracking so how it is going to work is uh, all VR headsets do a thing where it is not rendering the entire 360 degree world around you all at once because that is way too much processing power. So it focuses the graphics on whatever is in front of you based on wherever your headset is pointing, and that lets it, you know, lets the developers optimize the performance. And then when you turn your head, the graphical focus shifts, and that's an important way to make sure that games look pretty good and aren't overwhelmed, especially on a weaker headset like the Quest Two, which uses mobile hardware the the playstation vr2 is going to be wired to the ps5 which is obviously pretty powerful but one other benefit that we learned about at this panel is that eye tracking is going to provide even better improvement and we got specific numbers of how much the graphics will load faster or generally improve based on using foveated rendering and eye tracking and so With rendering, it's 2.5, loading stuff, 2.5, or GPU frame time improvements are 2.5 times faster. And with eye tracking, it's 3.6 times faster.
0: That's insane. So
3: it's a pretty significant jump just by adding cameras in the headset, looking at what your eyes are pointing to. You might have assumed that's kind of superfluous, but it actually is going to make sure that games look a lot better because they can take the same hardware and really make it look beautiful whatever you're looking at and sort of ignore whatever you're not looking at and so that's genuinely pretty exciting um, because they showed some information about how they can load things you know load a a 4k vr demo 32 percent faster um like instead of a 10-millisecond delay, a 7-millisecond delay to to sort of show whatever's happening. So it's exciting. You know, I think so games are going to look really good. On,
0: I, does you know. that mean... So correct me if I'm wrong um, or whatever. Um, does that mean that if I'm looking through my headset um, and I happen to not move my head but I look to my right, then I will see the image on the right clear because that's where my like with this new technology it's tracking my eye movement and it's it, it wants to ensure that where my eyes are moving that's where it's going to look clear and beautiful
3: exactly because right now in the quest two if you look off to the side it is going to look kind of bad because it is focusing it is assuming that if you want to look to your right you'll move your whole neck and oh,
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that is really cool. That's really really exciting.
3: Yeah. Now, when it gets to the kind of creepy part of it.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Jerry's listening there. He's like, I want to know what the creepy stuff is.
3: So, (laughs) do you all know what a heat map is?
0: No. Explain this.
3: So when uh, coders are developing websites, they will have people like they'll put point a camera at someone's face and they'll say, "Okay, browse our website." And they look around, and the camera will show where the person is looking, and they'll say, Okay, so people are ignoring this part of the website. They're immediately jumping to that part. They're Mm, okay. That's the way to optimize and figure out what the right UI or UX is. I always get those mixed up. But what you can do with eye tracking, according to the Unity developers, is they can create a heat map based on what a gamer looks at in the game. Oh, when the gamer is playing, you know you know, a beta, like a beta tester is testing the game, they can say, okay, this person took a long time on this puzzle because they didn't see the key on the ground. Bec- and they will create a heat map and say, okay, we need to make this shinier. Oh, And so <laughs> they will, what the PSVR headset can do is they can tell what you're looking at. They can know, they know your pupil dilation. They know whether or not you're winking or if your eyes are closed or if you're staring at something and what you're staring at. And all that information can presumably be either processed on the headset or sent back to the developers for information. And so there is the sort of a privacy question. I mean, people have to decide whether or not they find this uncomfortable to know that their biometric data is being tracked for the sake of making the game better.
0: I, I, I'm just assuming, though, that like if it's like, well, I guess I have two questions. The first is, are they going to include this heat track? Or heat pad or whatever um, for regular users, um, or is it only for beta testers? And if it's only for beta testers, then they could easily get away with it. I feel, and maybe Jerry can jump in and yell at me and say you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like they could easily get away with it with like a a disclosure by saying, yeah. you know, you are being opted into uh, as a beta tester. Note that your eyes are tracking we're tracking this biometric data for the purpose of improving the game. Um I right. feel like they would do that, right? I mean I would I I I don't think they would release a product publicly and not give you consent. I
1: guess. I'm gonna go out on a limb and say there are that every company that makes VR is already collecting biometric data about you and you agreed to it by detecting how you move your head horizontally, vertically. And diagonally, uh, if you're standing, how often you you move forward, the sensors can detect all of that, and they collect all that data to play the game. Why not keep it to help develop new games? Right. So they're probably already collecting biometric data. You just have to read what you agree to. That's
2: right.
0: not concerning at all.
2: Well, but I, I guess on on the other side of that. Do you care? I mean, is is it's not personally identifiable information? And I think that is where the differentiator lies, right? Yeah. If you're talking about right. like, oh, they know my name and my address and stuff. All right, well, that's that's where it gets or my face.
1: Well, they know like, all that too.
2: But well, I, yes, I know. But you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> it, included it in this data set, it's it's not included in that. This no, is just I don't like, care. I...
1: I would take a big hit of acid so my pupils were dilated the whole way and play games just to mess with them. <laughs> I don't care.
2: Oh, uh, yeah. Uh. Well, I mean, it, there's a lot... There are a lot of implications, like just really cool things that you can do with eye tracking. And aside from the performance, um, you know, aspect of it, you also have the social aspect. And in was, was this um, particular... Um, presentation, the one where they talked about the, the winking Michael and how they could, okay. So you can use those sorts of, you know, body language cues in social VR experiences. So, you know, when you're in a lobby and you're hanging out with people, you can look over at somebody and wink at them and they'll see that. And that's like, that's not something we can do in any digital, you know, social anything right now. It's just not, it's not there. So this makes that
0: that that makes me a little confused because, um, and maybe you can kind of clarify this for me because I've seen reports of like, um, people in the metaverse like like concerned with sexual harassment and stuff. So like, how is it different with what you're saying versus what we've seen reported uh, in the news? Do you know what I mean? Like, um, because you're like, oh, we've never seen someone be able to wink, like, but. How are they able to do something like like that over winking? I don't get it. Well, right so, now I
3: think people are... Sorry, you can go no, ahead. No, go ahead, go ahead. Uh, just, I think it's stuff like needing personal space bubbles where players can swarm a person's avatar and surround them and make them uncomfortable and just be speaking to them in creepy ways. And it is more difficult to moderate speech than mm, it is text. Okay. Okay. And that is going to be the big problem with... The hypothetical metaverse is people going into rooms and having to either have it not be monitored and people using it to talk about really creepy or politically incorrect or harassing or whatever topics or having it be monitored. And then there's the whole question of privacy and freedom of speech. So I'm not sure what the right call it. That's a whole nother discussion that'll yeah. come up if the metaverse really happens I, I know the
1: right answer you have no privacy you have no freedom of speech this is a closed platform suck it
2: there, okay well. <laughs> i i have two things that i want to add to that and I won't take too long uh one is biometrics remind me of that when i'm done with this this little spiel please because i might forget um the first one on on the personal space bubble right so i think echo vr which is like an esports type of thing um does this better than almost any other a VR game that I've played. And in in this game, right, it's a zero gravity game. So you're floating around a room. You can toss yourself anywhere you want. The sort of the crux of how this works is you can grab onto things. And that includes other players, right? So like if you're if you're playing and you're trying to launch yourself across the arena, you can grab onto your teammates back and go flying with them. OK, which is super cool until you have some random creepo that comes up and is, like, grabbing you in the face and, and doing all oh. kinds of stupid stuff. Well, in this right. game, you can go in options and turn on personal space bubble. And it literally makes a bubble that's, like, a three-foot, you know, wide bubble, and nobody can come in that bubble.
1: Oh. They physically oh, be run into a barrier. Put electrodes in the headset and give everybody a stun gun. <laughs> <laughs> so, Grab me somewhere, and I'll just zap you. One oh thing gosh. I saw
3: at GDC, or actual haptic they're They're working hard on haptic clothing right now, where when you get shot you it pinches your skin on your chest and you oh, feel hell it yeah. and so that is something that is <laughs> going to actually happen in a few years I think is haptic like don't get shot or it'll hurt
1: allow uh, me to remotely injure someone, and I'm all for it i I'll I cause know you are paying across the internet <laughs>
3: there you go <laughs> um the the one thing that with eye tracking that worry i I'm less worried about a Maybe just a an experience where you can sort of protect yourself with settings. What what makes me worried is, you know, the other headset that is coming that is supposed to have eye tracking is Project Cambria, you know, the Quest Pro, whatever it's called. But um oh, Alexa alarm. Um, <laughs> the um the problem is Meta is designing that as like a work headset. And the idea is people are going to be sitting in meetings and your boss will know if you are making eye contact with them. If you take your headset off to check check your phone or you're looking away, they'll say, Jerry, stop slacking off. I know you're not watching me right now. Like the, the eye tracking could be used in sort of an invasive way to make sure that you are paying attention or working x amount of time per day or something if it became an actual work headset so that's something
1: fun Maybe uh, that that something, is something fun. <laughs> uh, i mean but but as terrible as that sounds that's acceptable if it's a company provided piece of equipment that you're supposed to be using in a certain way on company time there you go just don't use it if you don't agree to it get a different job i would it's, it's true. I mean how, how can you say that's not acceptable? If you agreed to it when you became employed and started to use the equipment, it is acceptable to you.
0: Nope, you're right. I I would agree with you on that, Cherry. Mm. Okay, I want to do our last topic before we finish. Um which is ending it off with uh, VR games we most want to see at the Meta Showcase. Now, uh, Michael, I believe, yes, you did. You did write the write the newser on this. Um, and uh, so essentially, for those who don't know, the Meta Quest uh, Gaming Showcase will take place on April 20th. Um, you can watch it on various platforms. And last year's event revealed major launches like Resident Evil for VR. Um, I expect you to die to and after the fall. And this year, there are quite a number of exciting, you know, potential games that could come out. And I'm actually I'm really excited for this because I've never played VR. So and maybe I'll get into it now because of this. But Uh, Among Us VR tweeted out saying that they they're going to be in the MetaQuest gaming showcase. So that's exciting. Said April 20th. New bean footage. No imposters allowed. I love that. Among Us is such a fun game. And um, Michael, you also wrote in in addition to the above confirmations, we could see GTA San Andreas VR, which was announced by Zuckerberg last fall. Um, And that could be an exciting headliner for the Grand Theft Auto fans. Uh, Who are impatiently waiting for it. So, what are we thinking? What are you guys excited for?
3: Well, I know that um, we saw a rumor a couple of weeks ago about the Quest 2 and PlayStation VR getting an official NFL game. Um,
0: Ooh. There's no
3: guarantee that that's going to show up, but, you know, if it did, I think that that could be pretty cool it's supposed to use like
2: the, yeah the the company the company that's making that um does a bunch of sports simulation stuff already like it's a dedicated like VR sports training company that was founded by two guys who were in the NFL please so, tell me
1: it'll use the clothing that hurts you if you get hit
2: <laughs> that would be amazing. maybe maybe on the pro model simulator man <laughs> yeah that's hilarious yeah, that, that one should be interesting. I mean, I don't really care about football. It's not really my... I don't really care about most sports, to be honest. But I think that one's interesting. If no other reason, than it's not developed by EA. <laughs> <laughs> Freaking EA. I don't know how they've right. had the exclusive license to that for 20 years, but they have. I mean,
0: good for them, though, <laughs> they right?
2: They paid for it, man. I they know, but for it's it. just
0: crazy. I'm like,
2: it you think be... the NFL would want to branch out? Hey, guys, let's make a bunch of games not it could just be one. nick
1: nick nah. Sutrick 2022 football if you were willing to pay for it
2: what a, it, what in any case somebody that's not EA is making an NFL game
3: yeah get excited it, about that and the question <laughs> will just be like how accurate it'll be like if you're flinging your arm and the ball sails 10 yards past the receiver because the you know the mobile controls aren't good it it'll
1: be like the old tech mobile where if you play the Kansas City Chiefs you automatically win every single game because <laughs>
0: Uh, I'm also kind of... I saw in your article, uh, Michael, that you said that Ubisoft was hiring VR developers recently for Assassin's Creed VR and Splinter Cell VR, uh, which Meta has already said will come to the Oculus platforms. I think that would be so cool. And and Assassin's Creed VR, like...
3: Yeah, we know it would work because we already have the climb, which is the rock climbing one. So, you know, you could easily make gameplay where you're scaling up buildings and jumping up that way you know sneaking up on people and ducking into crowds could be interesting though it might be more of like an on rails thing than an actual open world ubisoft
1: thing where it's 80
3: hours it it would have to be
1: yeah streamlined it's just no way yeah
0: that world is massive yeah
1: and some of the things people can do in assassin's creed just there's no way you could program that to work with VR.
3: Yeah. You're gonna need VR legs for it too. Like if they if they do an eagle vision dive or whatever, that's yeah. gonna really make people nauseous if they're not ready yeah, for that's, it. So
2: that's <laughs> when you have to do what they did in Resident Evil 4 VR, where they just jump to an external camera and you watch them go down because otherwise oh, you're just cool. gonna fall on the yeah, floor.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I would love to see how how you perform like stealthier moves. That would be kind of really cool. Today. So there,
2: yeah. there's um There's a developer that that I follow on Twitter, uh, goes by RJ, and he makes a bunch of fun little titles. But one of the ones he's been working on for a while now is called White Hat. And it's like you play as a White Hat hacker and it's in this digital world. It's very it's very uh, Assassin's Creed inspired, right? (laughs) Visually, it looks very similar. Like you can tell the guy loves it. Uh, You jump off buildings and assassinate targets. And like it's it's a fun little thing. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. You know, eventually coming out in its final form. But I imagine that something like that is what we'll get from an Assassin's Creed VR. I
0: love that.
1: You know, Games aside, I want to see hardware improvements. I, 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 VR makes me sick. The yeah, only VR yeah. that doesn't make me sick is the VR I can't afford to buy. I, I want to see, you know, 120 hertz refresh 2K screens at the minimum and maybe three milliseconds round trip lag.
2: That way, I don't get sick. I think Cambria will will solve a lot of those for you because, like, Quest Two can already do 120 hertz. Almost nothing can do it though because it's the chipset.
1: Yeah, it's it's just a but it's problem. capable. <laughs> it's it, it's a problem unless you can take this big. 46 lane wide cable and plug it into a thousand dollar video card and a $3,000 PC. That's how it's been solved up until now. Uh, you all are really smart people out there. Make it so people don't get sick and you'll get even more customers.
0: It's true. That's one of the reasons why I don't have a headset either. I just, it just makes me feel sick. I don't like it.
1: One positive
3: thing for people who do have the, you know, fancy PCs is there was the recent news that, um, the that they're oh, yeah. improving AirLink. They're creating like a little dongle that connects to your PC and make sure yeah. that it, you know the wireless connection goes directly to the headset, and so you get PC quality without actually needing a wire. So but it's it
1: still it's seven milliseconds each way. That's fifteen milliseconds. That's gonna make people like me sick, sick as a dog.
0: <laughs> no, we don't well, want that. yeah
1: it's that uh, they. I love the fact that they want to get rid of the wires, but that's. Maybe even cut the quality down a little bit. I don't need, you know, 4K, 90 hertz graphics as much as I need things to happen when they're supposed to happen so I don't get seasick.
0: That's true. I fully agree with you on that one, Jerry, again. Okay, um, I want to end the podcast as per usual with something that made us happy this past week that was not work-related. So I hope you guys thought of something happy. Um, I'm going to start with you, Jerry. What made you happy this past week?
1: Oh, why'd you start with me? Mine's, (laughs) Mine's dumb, but, uh, I was playing around. I had to spend way too much time in a prior life using 3d CAD creation software and I hate doing it, but I finally got around to doing it for myself for something fun. And I designed and built this little box for orchids, the, the flowers orchids that, some of them need a very controlled environment to grow. And I slapped a raspberry pie in there and hooked up a couple fans in a little water inlet. And I have completely created a little micro environment for a flower that was stupidly expensive.
0: I love that. That's and so cool.
1: It's dumb. And it's I spent way too much time and money on it. But by God, I made it. All of it.
0: It's not dumb, dude. It made you happy. That that. It's never done when something makes you happy. (laughs) I love that. Um, Michael, what made you happy this past week?
3: Yeah, I didn't, since it's not really an accomplishment, but I guess it made me happy. I platinumed the Mass Effect Legendary Edition. I've been replaying it on and off (laughs) since it came out, and I just finished it, and that was a lot of fun.
0: That's amazing. I'm happy to hear that. And Nick, what made you happy this week?
2: I I was gone over the weekend because we were at the National Ninja League Worlds, my son got to go to Worlds, which was just super cool experience. Like there were people there from Australia and France and like it was awesome being there with people who are ridiculously talented in physical ways that I feel like I never will be. (laughs) Oh,
0: my gosh. (laughs) Well. Well, we're happy that you're back, but I I know that you're going again away next week, so our listeners will miss you again, I'm sure. But hopefully, after that, you stick around and I, come I'm back. I'm planning again. to. Okay, good. I won't
1: miss you. Good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. What made me happy this past week was um, I I'm a huge reader. I read a lot of books, but I've recently been in an unfortunate reading slump. I haven't been able to read anything that has been interesting or exciting. And I picked up a book and I am so excited because it is just what I needed. It's called All I Want by Darcy Bell. It is a thriller slash horror book about a family, uh, a husband and wife who purchased this like Victorian beautiful, like, mansion, and there's just, like, a really dark past uh, about the house. And I just love books about creepy houses that just haunt people. I'm just, I'm such a weirdo. Don't hate me for it, but I'm really, I'm really happy and excited about Truthy,
3: it. Truthy, <laughs> have you heard of Mexican Gothic?
0: I haven't. What is this? You,
3: if you like creepy houses, that's your book. That's all I'll okay. say. I won't spoil anything, but it's really good.
0: Ooh! I'm so excited. Thank you. Okay, I'm really excited. I'm going I'm going to pick that one up after. <laughs> I'm really <laughs> excited. Um, okay, well, again, to our listeners, for always being there for us, thank you for listening and tuning in yet again this week and listening to us. We hope you stick around and listen to us next week as well. Thank you so much again. Have a lovely one. Bye, guys.
1: See ya. Bye. Adios.